Forge family, uh, let's turn to the Word of God. Um, last time we were together, we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And now in that, in that chapter, Paul and Silas and Timothy were back together again. Uh, Acts chapter 17 says, um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to slip out the back door of that town because there was a riot. And um, Timothy was sent back to find out how the new churches, the new believers, the new ecclesias were doing in Thessalonica. So now they're back together again. And his report to Paul of what was going on with uh, the new believers had prompted Paul to immediately start dictating a letter. <clears throat> we know that letter to be 1 Thessalonians. And he, he was encouraged with uh, Timothy's report. That, and, uh, and so he started off with this thanksgiving of of all the news of what was happening to those churches who were under persecution. Um, he started with a, a, a grace and peace blessing that's passed back and forth. That's, that's very typical of Paul's first words all nearly out of his, his epistles. <clears throat> and he, was, he was encouraged because what he heard from Timothy confirmed the fact that that, that conversions were taking place, that evangelism was taking place, because the Thessalonian church had sort of exploded outward by word of mouth on the road, uh, on the seas, um, by letter. And it was known all over Macedonia that there had been a transformation of those people from idol worshipers to now followers of Christ. Now, that, that news of that happening, it got to Paul before Timothy's report came back. Paul heard some people talk about this. And then Timothy comes and says, yes, indeed, there has been true conversions and true evangelism. <clears throat> so let's pray as we get ready to start on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Holy One, just as you strengthened Paul and Silas as they sat bleeding after being beaten, and now they're chained in a dungeon in Philippi, and you strengthened and protected Timothy as he walked the road back up to Thessalonica, met with those people and got out of town safe. Lord, you stand ready to put your hands over us. You're the same yesterday and forever, today and forever. We again ask you, Lord, as we gain courage and boldness in our marketplaces, um, you, you keep your promises to us. Lord, that you're never, not for any reason whatsoever, you're gonna, never going to leave us. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for your presence. Thank you for Bethel worship. In Jesus' name, amen. In fact, one of those songs, it's fascinating, one of those songs that was sung this morning, um, Terry, is it Terry Almond? No, Terry... Um, McCallum? Maybe, Terry McCallum, whatever. Uh, his song, Holy, Holy, Holy. You know, I was going, that, that's the same theme, that's the same words, you know, that the... That the the people of God begin to resonate with heaven and, and sing his praises. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It begins with verses 1 and 2. And immediately Paul uses a reminder language. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in, in Philippi, as you know... We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much op opposition. So Paul sets out immediately to strengthen the connection between himself and those 
churches, those new brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. And it's evident that his preaching in their midst and the ministry of Silas and Timothy, that had borne fruit. It hadn't been empty or void or in vain. Um, Those people received Jesus, risen from the dead, reigning in heaven, and promising to come again. It changed their lives. Now, Paul and Silas had arrived, if you recall, they were limping, they were badly bruised, there were scabs. They, they were in not in good shape, having come from Philippi, where they were, they were beaten. And even over 90 miles, they had not all healed up. And in the natural, you could say, all right, guys, eyes on the pavement, keep your heads down, just get through this city, get healed up, let's figure out another, you know, let's, well, there's another time, chance for ministry some other time. Paul didn't do that. Paul and Timothy and Silas took on a monster city of 200, maybe 200,000 people at the leading port city of, of Macedonia. <clears throat> and, and they came at it with chutzpah and gumption and boldness uh, to be able to say, here is the news about the one true God. Now, the boldness wasn't theirs to stir up because it came from the Lord God himself. <clears throat> and there was much opposition Hardness, hardship, and struggle. And it's here that the Greek word agon appears. And it's a root for our word agony. And it's taken from the, the Greek games, if you will. We call them Olympic games. But they, had, they pictured particularly the wrestling. And uh, Greco-Roman wrestling is where you don't, you're trying to throw someone else from their feet to the ground. And so you're, you're constantly changing your balance points. And you're constantly trying to get under someone else's defense to, to shift their balance point. And you're straining with everything you have, knowing that if I just push an ounce more, something's got to give. I will strain something. Something's going to break. And you're, you're, you've pushed yourself to the absolute limit. And it was their ministry in Thessalonica that took on that agon, if you will, that struggle to keep speaking the truth openly. Verse 3 continues. After Paul and his team were whisked out of town at night, the discussion over the dinner tables, in the taverns, at the wharf, in the streets, amongst the city leaders, all that filtered down to the churches. <clears throat> you see, Paul and Silas were being accused of error, impurity, and deceit. Another way to say that is, who is this criminal that you've believed? He's deluded you. He was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, and obviously that had to be for a good reason. And now you want to join this new religion? That, that you've just heard about? That's a load of codswallop. Good old-fashioned English word. It's not that bad either. <laughs> okay. The people of Thessalonica were well aware of public speakers who had ulterior motives. And they'd seen others swept up in following these articulate men who had gross impurity, financial gain, and, or the acquisition of power in mind when they opened their mouth and began to speak openly in, in city squares. Now, the memory of the missions team had been broad-brushed with doubt, with direct verbal attack, and with slander. So Paul is not defending his apostolic standing as he did in, in his letter to the Galatians. Instead, he, is, he begins to teach them... Uh, that as you're questioned about this, you know, and as what you heard is dragged through the muck and the missions team is being charged with wicked motives and deceit and lies and corruption and delusion, you need to know this stuff. <clears throat> and he said in verse 4, 
Just, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Now, Paul says the bottom line is we answer to God. Okay, Ford's church, we answer to God. And in both cases, less for us and more for him, we do not answer to gutter speak, slander, or gossip. But those things are a given. When you start to break through, when you start to present the gospel, you know, there's going to be murmurs. There's going to be, re- you know, there's going to be reports. There's going to be people who go, what are they talking about? Okay? Those who spoke with such deceit, they came and they went through the marketplace. They spiced their ways with a little illicit sex and financial gain at the cost of the listeners. See, the Greeks knew about them, those guys that came through town regularly. All right? <clears throat> Now, Paul says, we answer to the Lord God. We set out to please the Lord. We do not set out to please men, but him who sent us and who examined us and approved our hearts. Now, this bit about examination and approval is the same word that's used all over in Paul's writings about being tried and tested for the purpose of approval. Paul says in verses 5 to 6, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext to greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Now the use of flattering speech was ubiquitous. It was everywhere in Thessalonica. Because if you were a patron for this, this temple, you wanted to attract others to come and participate and contribute and if you were were a patron for some leader you know you were trying to build uh, you know it was classic politics and they all used smooth flattering speech a little of it was probably true a lot of it was right there in the gutter and um, Paul Paul was straight Paul wasn't polished Paul wasn't smooth in his presentation here is the risen Christ and he didn't appeal to any of the personages or leadership in Thessalonica to kind of support him, but rather to God himself. Further, the mission team did not pass the hat. Okay? It wasn't this statement of, okay, um, if you do this for God, he's going to be obligated. God will be obligated to bless you. So show up over here to the right with your wallets in hand. Been in some of those meetings? Okay, still going on today. Paul was not in the preaching business. To rake in the offerings and the support, he was not out to fill up his Maui condo retirement fund. He answered to a higher authority, and he said, God is my witness. He and Silas did not seek adulation or adoration from the listeners in the ecclesias, in the streets, in the synagogues, before the wealthy men and women of Thessalonica. And then Paul, in the text, drops a bomb. It's this, te- it's this statement that says, even as apostles of Christ, they might have asserted their authority. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a plural. Apostles. So nowhere in Scripture is Timothy spoken of as an apostle. And likewise, neither does Silas ever have that mantle accorded to him. 
Because apostles in Paul's day were those who had seen Jesus alive, and Jesus had picked them out, had called them. And uh, Paul and Silas, as far as we know, they didn't qualify on those points. Now, it's possible that the power of God resident in the apostle Paul, in, in his gifting, bled over in a big way onto the team that was with him. Now, we know Silas was a prophet. We know Timothy was a pastor teacher. But they were obviously were using a broad range of gifts. And so I would not have been surprised at all to see them all laying hands on individuals to impart Holy Spirit, to, uh, <clears throat> to do some deliverance, if you will, to speak words of knowledge, to prophesy, to do wondrous healings, and to raise the dead. Now, I personally had a taste of that that flows off mighty men and women who are greatly gifted. The first time that happened was in Ethiopia. And the team were endowed with amazing power. And so I went out there by faith and, and God did the amazing thing for a short period of time. We should have continued on back home. Okay? It's also possible that Paul was referring to the assignment of an apostle, and if you will, a definition as a messenger, an envoy, an ambassador for the king of kings. And then Paul says, we, the team, could have asserted our authority as apostles to impress men. And then verses 7 and 8 describes, from Paul's perspective, how the missions team related to the brothers and sisters. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Now, here, this verse, there's a difference in manuscript evidence. Now, let me explain what that means. We have 5,000 complete copies of the New Testament. None of it is the original. We don't have Paul's original letters. We don't have the original Matthew or Mark or Luke. It's all copies. But we have 5,000 copies, and they agree. And they come from three, essentially three major families of manuscript um, gatherers, if you will, where they were preserved. They may have been translated into Latin, which was the case of the Western family of, of manuscripts. And the Eastern manuscript families, they kept their documents in Greek and then there was a library, a massive library and study center in Alexandria, North Africa, Egypt. And there was an Alexandrian family of manuscripts. Okay, the problem is when they get to this passage here, some of them use the word apios and some of them use the word napios. It's like one letter difference. The N, the noon, okay? Now, apios means gentle and napios means little children. And you could sort of, Make either one of those two fit if you push it hard enough. Okay, in this text, uh, the, the deal here is when you rummage around through commentaries, you discover there's no consensus. There's no agreement. Okay? So my take on this is the, the context here calls for the former, calls for apios, which means gentle. Okay? And, and Paul and his team then were directed by Holy Spirit to be gentle, not authoritative as the apostles who come and say, this is the way it is. 
Okay? In a righteous way. Okay? Now, it says here that this gentleness was like that of a nursing mother with her babies. Because the team had a warm, inward attachment to the new believers in the ecclesias of Thessalonica. They opened not only the good news of, 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 the, of the risen Christ, they opened their own souls. They opened their hearts to the brothers and sisters. And verses 9 to 12 points to the night and day labor of imparting the gospel that the team practiced. Quote, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging each of you as a father would his own children. So that we may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So I, for one, don't find evidence here in this text, uh, adequate evidence anyway, that Paul and his team decided the way not to make a burden on these new believers is we get day jobs to cover our expenses so we don't have to draw on anybody else. Uh, but I, my take on this is this was such an intense three-week period of time that Paul and Silas and Timothy went at dawn, starting at dawn, pre-dawn, maybe a cup of espresso and a cornetto, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe they just, you know, but they started early and they went all day long into the night and into the early morning. And they went house to house. Now picture what had happened if it had been one house for three weeks. At the end of three weeks, you've had this traffic coming in and out and coming in and out, eating, bathing, using the facilities. And the mother in the household at the end of three weeks says, the cupboard is bare. They drank all our wine. There's nothing left. This was a burden to have them centered here. So Paul didn't do that. I think he went from house to house. It was time for lunch. They happened to be in that house, etc. Now, there were times when Paul used his skills as a leather worker, as a skilled saddle maker, saddle craftsman to pay his way. Corinth comes to mind. He decided for this congregation, for this, these people here, I just need to sit down during the day and put my needle through the leather and through the leather and through the leather and at night I'll go teach. <clears throat> he says that both the new believers and the Lord are witnesses of how the team was constantly exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each new brother and sister just as a father would for his own kids. The goal of that intense three weeks was to see the brothers and sisters stand up and begin to walk in a godly way, in a kingdom way, worthy of the one who had saved them. Now, verses 13 to 16 start with the reflection that goes right back to chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, We give thanks to God always for you. So the team, the mission team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they want the ecclesias to know of their Godward-directed thanks. Well, Paul's not thanking those people for receiving Jesus. He's thanking God for the opportunity to preach. And it was for this reason we also constantly thank God 
that when you received from us the word of God's message, you, re- you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, drove them out. They are not pleasing God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, and that they might be saved. With the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So when Paul writes that the word of God is performing its work in the lives of these new believers, in the churches, in the ecclesias, he's using the word from which we get our word energy. It's energeo. Okay? And it, it's, it's, it's activation. It's energy. It moves you. It shakes you. It will transform you. The word of God to them was energizing them to accomplish kingdom transformation and advance. Paul had urged them to imitate himself. Him and imitate the team. And then he finds out from Timothy, they were imitating the churches in Judea who had undergone and were still undergoing great pressure for their belief in Christ. In Judea, it came from the Jews. Now, with that, you know, at its core, the Jews, the, the Jewish people who accepted Jesus were immediately cut off from the synagogue, which meant no food, no medical support, uh, no welfare, there's no, there's no support for widows, no support for anybody. You're out. And that produced great pain and suffering in the churches in Judea and beyond. Because the, the Jewish people went out, they, hired, you know, they obviously hired Saul of Tarsus to go take a whack at them. You know, let's extinguish this new cult, the followers of the way. In the case of the, the Thessalonians, it was, let's see, parents, husbands, fathers, <laughs> business partners, drinking buddies, Jews, Greeks, Romans, pagans, they all, all of them oppressed the, the new believers in Thessalonica. But as a result of that, they, the churches, were becoming a network just like those in Judea that trusted in Jesus when they suffered. Okay? And one of the hallmarks of the, of the Judean churches was they shared everything back and forth. Oh, this family is in deep trouble? Fine. Take up and off. Move, move resources over there. They, they began to care for each other's family. Paul shifts here to lay at the feet of the Jews a list of charges. They killed Jesus. Remember? They backed Pilate up against his own decision to release Barabbas. And they said, well, no, we, we want Barabbas alive. We don't want him killed. We want Jesus crucified. And then went after him. And finally said, I washed my hands. And it was the Jews who engineered and demanded the death of Christ. They killed God's prophets that he had sent out to them. They persecuted the followers of the way, the believers in the risen Christ. They lived contrary to God. All you need is about 1,350 years from the time of the giving of the law until the time of Christ. And you look at that history, and the Jewish people, the people of Israel, lived contrary to God's law. Time after time, year after year, decade, millennia. Okay? They, their way of life and belief was against all other men. Okay? I'm a Jew. 
I keep kosher, I tithe everything, and you are a vile Gentile dog. Everybody else was dirt. They opposed the conversion of Jews to Christ's teaching as well as Gentiles who believed in them. And lastly, their bitter opposition and refusal to believe in Christ multiplied their sins and filled it up over and over and over again, continually. Now, having laid out the ways that the Jews harassed and opposed the spread of the gospel, Paul, in his conclusion of verse 16, leaves them with a dire warning. Now, this is not an apostolic prophecy. This is not something thrown into the future. It was already at work for 20 years from the time that Jesus had been crucified. Okay? And now look, looking 20, a month, 20, 20 years forward, 20 years forward means Titus shows up outside the closed walls of Jerusalem and he levels Jerusalem. A million people died. Blood ran through the street in rivers. And when he was all done completely destroying Jerusalem, they salted the, the lands around Jerusalem so you couldn't raise crops. And it was then it forced a diaspora of Jews outward from Palestine to the known world where that in itself would ultimately loose persecutions and pogroms on them that have lasted for millennia. And it's going to last all the way up to Armageddon because we, we studied about that when we looked at Zechariah. That was still going on. Now, Forge family, some of you have been involved in ministry. And some of you are rising in your desire to be ministers of the gospel in some fashion. Now, as you reflect and prepare for what comes next in your family, on your street, in your city, on the peninsula, in the Bay, in California, in America, and beyond, what's coming next? You cling to Paul's words. Now, some of us, you say, I, I don't have a lick of a speaking gift at all. I serve. I have mercy. I do administration. You know, there's lots of other ways to serve the Lord in the Holy Spirit. So all of us are included in this. Cling to the words of Paul. Cling to the words of God. Speak the truth of the word of God. Do not delude others. Not for any monetary gain or, gain or ascension or any position of power and control and not for any ulterior motive. Your security, your purity depends entirely on obedience to God alone. Don't become man-pleasers. Instead, catch the gentleness of Christ so that you are energized to nurture new believers. And don't catch the authoritarian stuff of leadership in the natural. Become willing to work, to labor, to struggle in private so others may be blessed. And don't fret about the opposition. That, that's a given. That's God's job to protect you. And make ways where there seem to be no ways. All right, let's pray. Father of kindness, you reached across lands and seas to touch European pagans to, lay, to lead them to your son, Jesus, Lord. We here in the San Francisco Bay Area are surrounded by those who've come across lands and seas and yet are untouched by the gospel. They have never heard it clearly presented by Holy Spirit to them. Now, Lord, we too would be your envoys, your ambassadors, 
presenting you as the one true God. May your love flow out of our hearts to those who are lost and to those who are alien to the gospel of Christ. May we too learn to walk in a manner worthy of God. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the power that you give in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.